My name is uh, Ryan Wheat. I'm the student pastor here. I'm actually thinking of adding an additional title to my business card, and that's the uh, Sunday After Christmas Preacher. Uh, This is the second year in a row that I've been uh, able to spend this time with you guys, you guys, uh, right after Christmas. Um, Gold star for anyone that can remember what I preached about last year, except for my wife. Uh, my, my students rarely remember what I preach about from week to week, let alone uh, year to year, so I wouldn't expect you guys to really remember what I preached about last year. But last year, I talked about the three divine virtues. I talked about faith, hope, and love. Um, specifically, I talked about a faith that would move us. Now, little did I know during that particular uh, sermon how real that truth was going to be for us as a church. Um, God literally picked us up and moved us here to this location in fate. Um, And I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty excited to see what God is going to do through us here because I've been reminded uh, through this move that God can't be contained. Um, He's put us in a place here to be able to move over this local community uh, like a tidal wave. And so I think there are good things to come uh, for Redeemer Church, what God is going to do through us um, I think this is only uh, the beginning. I hope everyone had a, a great Christmas. Uh, most of the gifts have been unwrapped. Most of the Christmas dinners have been consumed. There's leftovers piled high in the fridge. Um, for the most part, your Christmases have probably been wrapped up, um, aside from a few family gatherings. Christmas has come and Christmas has gone. Uh, I can remember as a kid the excitement and the anticipation leading up the weeks before Christmas. Um, this is probably going to date myself a little bit, but I would, the weeks leading up to Christmas, wait for the Sunday paper to come because it had the color ads in it, right? That's when you got the really good advertisements. And so I would grab all of the toy ads that I could out of that Sunday morning paper, and I would circle every toy that I wanted, and then I would strategically place them around the house So my parents would find them, they would know exactly what I wanted for Christmas. I was basically Pinterest, but this was like back in 1987, right? And so uh, my hopes were that I would get all the gifts that I wanted. And then Christmas morning would come at about 4.30 a.m. I would spring from my bed, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, and I would sprint into the living room to try to see what Santa had brought me. And within a few hours, uh, the uh, living room would be a sea of wrapping paper. There would be toys blaring throughout the house. And then by dinner, um, it seemed like the, the decorations were already going back in the box. As exciting as Christmas morning is for a young kid, the morning after is kind of depressing because Christmas is over, right? What do you have to look forward to? My birthday wouldn't be for another four months. And when you're seven years old, that might as well be a decade, right? And you've got a whole nother year until Christmas. Now, I wish I could say that as I got older, things changed for me in that regard. I wish that I could uh, stand here and say that Christmas um, meant so much more to me as I started to get older, that the celebration didn't end for me the day after. But sadly, I think for a majority of Christian households, the Christmas season starts when the tree gets decorated, and it ends when the pine needles are vacuumed up. And I'm not sure that that's exactly the way that it should be. Um, Now, I'm not saying that you should leave your lights on your house all year long, okay? Don't be those people. I'm not saying that you need to leave your tree up until it withers and dies. But what I'm saying is, is Christmas, for those of us that truly believe in the redemptive work of Christ, um, should see that it's the beginning of a miraculous life, a life that wouldn't end even in death. 
Um, for the rest of the world, though, Christmas is kind of the pinnacle, right? It marks the highlight of the season and the ending of the year. Um, I think the silence that settles on secular society after Christmas morning is kind of a reminder to, to us as believers that the rest of the world doesn't quite get that there's more to Christmas than just the birth of a child, and that's the life and the death of a Savior. Um, when I first started thinking about this, I thought, we don't, we don't do that with our kids, though, right? Like, we don't just celebrate them before they're born. That's not when the big celebration is, and then we just kind of stop celebrating them, right? But, but we kind of do when you think about it, right? You, the Christmas season mirrors the birth of a new child for most of us because there's decorating of the house that takes place, right? Got to get the room ready. There's gifts that are bought. There's a ton of parties beforehand. You've got gender reveal parties. You've got baby showers. You've got the co-ed baby showers for all the husbands that just love that stuff, right? You've got all of this buildup and all of this celebration for the child to be born. And then everyone kind of leaves, and for new parents, there you are, leaning over a crib, looking at a baby, not really knowing what you're supposed to do with it, and everyone else is gone, right? That's typically the way that it works. But for those people that have a relationship with that child, the pinnacle of that uh, child's life is not its birth, but the life that you get to spend with that child as it grows up. Unfortunately, you can't just place that baby in a box and put it on a shelf, and then every year at its birthday, bring it out, okay? One, it's illegal. And two, it's just not, it's not recommended. Um, likewise, I think that uh, the birth of Christ for us should be in a similar fashion, though, to the way that we look at the birth of a child and the fact that it, is, it signifies new life for us. Now, I know you're probably thinking, well, Ryan, of course it signifies new life. Jesus was born, that's a new life. But that's not exactly what I'm talking about, okay? I'm not talking about the life of Jesus, but I'm talking about the new life that we are entered into because of the birth of of our Savior. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up. The verses will also be on the screen behind me. But we're going to be in Romans this morning. Um, we're going to be in, in uh, chapter 8. Paul's writing to the church at Rome, and he starts by saying this in verse 3 of chapter 8. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life. Now I think for us to be able to understand this verse, we need to understand where Paul's coming from a little bit. Paul had been a Pharisee. Um, and so the law for a Pharisee meant a very physical type of law, right? You had to eat this, but you could not eat that. You, you could do this, but you couldn't do that. You had to wear this thing if you were going to this place. You had to do this stuff, right? When it's talking about the law, he would have traditionally thought from a, from a Pharisee standpoint of the physical law, the Mosaic law, that was a result of the Ten Commandments. And what they basically did was they took the Ten Commandments and then they added hundreds of other laws to those Ten Commandments. So there were purity laws and social laws. There were food laws. There were all of these different types of laws that Paul would have had to have followed. Now, as a Pharisee, he did that. In a very physical sense, Paul held the law. He was very disciplined in that regard, as most Pharisees were, right? I think that um, we on the surface, want to look a certain way, so we do that to an extent. We try to uphold the physical law. But what we see here in this particular verse, or what we see in the chapter before specifically, is 
Paul's starting to realize that the, the law is not just a physical thing. It's not just a masquerade that he can put on or certain actions that he needs to check boxes for. Um, in chapter 7, he says, we kind of catch a glimpse of Paul's realization of all of this. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, meaning it's not just physical, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. And then he goes on to say, and he kind of goes through this tirade that if you've ever read it, it's somewhat confusing. He says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. He's basically echoing our sentiment as believers that we know that there's something, that we should be living life this way, but, but we're not. And we want to. And then at the end of chapter 7, before chapter 8, uh, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul realizes that there's no amount of physical law following that is going to outweigh the amount of spiritual law that he continues to violate on a regular basis. All right? So when we look at chapter 8 and we see Paul talking about the birth of Jesus, what we just celebrated at Christmas, even though Paul is looking at the manger, what he's seeing is the cross. What he's seeing is, is that, there, that despite all of his failings, all of the, the ways that he can't measure up and can't live up, there's grace and there's forgiveness. The arrival of Jesus is the arrival of the only hope that Paul has. It's the only hope that we have. God in the flesh. See, in chapters 7 and 8 of Romans here, Paul is laying out for the church at Rome that one, on our own, we are hopeless. We're hopeless. There's no physical law that we can uphold enough to get us to heaven that's going to cover up all of the sin that dwells within us. And number two, he's saying that God, even knowing our guilt, became flesh so that way he could defeat death. So that way we could see redemption. His birth is the beginning of that redemption, a redemption that would pulse through humanity all the way from that first night in Bethlehem to this church here in fate and onward until he returns. Um, it's hard for me, I think, and I think it's hard for most people uh, to understand uh, why we can find Christmas to one day or even one month out of the year when we can see that for Christ, his redemptive work is indefinite. There's no end. It's not a single event. It's an ongoing reconciliation. I like how Dave, uh, Donald McLeod says it. He says, from this point of view, the humiliation of Christ was not a point but a line. Its greatest single step was that by which he became the child in the manger. The condescension involved in that is beyond imagining. The condescension meaning his voluntary descent. Yet it was only the beginning of the long downward journey through homelessness, poverty, exhaustion, shame, and pain to Gethsemane and beyond that to Calvary. Every moment in that journey from Bethlehem to Calvary was chosen. And every moment on the cross from the third to the ninth hour was chosen. Every day of the Lord's life, he reenacted the kenosis, meaning becoming nothing, renewing the decision which had made him nothing and choosing to move further and further into the shame and pain that it involved. He loved his own, and when eventually it became clear that the love would cost, he went forward trembling to be what his people's sin deserved. Knowing the cost, he went forward. Christmas is just the beginning for us. Christmas is just the beginning of the gospel story. When we look towards the manger, what we need to see is the cross. But it didn't even end at the cross. Before God became flesh on that very first Christmas, people were preparing for Christ 
to arrive, right? We look at the Old Testament and we see prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Micah, and they're all telling of this coming king. For generations, they're talking about this coming king. And they're, they're telling a group of people that for decades and for generations were having to deal with um, oppressive governments, societies that looked down on them or pushed them away or shamed them because of their faith, yet they prepared. And they told of the goodness of God and their coming Lord. And in the midst of troubled time and in the midst of difficulty, there was hope of God's assurance. I hope that we can be a church that mirrors that because even when we look back on that first Christmas and the coming of, of Christ, I'm reminded that we are also still today waiting on our coming Christ. Hebrews 9, 28 says, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people and he will appear a second time, not to bear our sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now I have to admit, I'm guilty of this. I am guilty of losing sight of Christ's return. Um, I, I can you know, fully grasp and fully understand Jesus's birth because I'm reminded of it every Christmas. Every Christmas we celebrate baby Jesus in the manger. And then I can fully grasp and wrap my mind around his death on the cross and the redemptive work that comes through that because every Easter, again, I'm reminded of you know, what happened on the cross. But I think we lose sight sometimes of the fact that Christ is going to come again. And I think part of that is because we are a people that love beginnings and endings, right? We like to think of, the, of closure. We like to think of something happening in this life that we can understand. Birth and death, something we can hold on to and something that's tangible. But Scripture tells us that God's kingdom will have no end. His Christ's return is just the beginning of his reign. What's amazing about that truth is that it means that there's so much more in store for us. This isn't the best it's going to be. It is going to get better. Our celebration should continue knowing that truth because God has made a way for us. That all of these struggles, all of all of the bad things that are happening here, right? Everything that we saw happen yesterday, all of the destruction and the death is going to cease because he's going to return and he's going to reign. So how do we as a church ensure that we don't lose sight of that, that we don't let the day after Christmas be the day that the celebration ends, but that the Christmas season is a, a period that marks the beginning of that celebration? The first thing is this, we have to recognize who Christ is. We have to recognize who he is. Now, I fully understand that there's people here this morning that may or may not have a relationship with Jesus. You may or may not think, man, I, you know, I've, I haven't bought into this. I haven't entered into this whole thing. I just, I like coming. The music's pretty good. But for the most part, I haven't entered into that relationship yet. Paul talks about two different people in Romans 8. He talks about the people that, that live by the flesh, the people whose minds are focused on the fleshly things. And he talks about those that are living according to the Spirit. And he sets two very distinct boundaries for those, two individuals. There are those that live by the flesh and there's death. There are those that live by the Spirit and there's life and peace. If we are going to live a Christ-centered life, then we have to yearn for Jesus and we have to celebrate who he is by recognizing who he is. Um, this time of year we celebrate baby Jesus, right? Shannon went on, on last week quoting Ricky Bobby, sinner, right? Can't believe he did that. Uh, but I loved what he said, not the Ricky Bobby quote, but this. He said, The incarnation of Jesus is God's declaration of his never-ending, never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreakable, always and forever love. Christ is God's eternal love for us. And once we recognize that, once we recognize who Christ is, then we have to prioritize him in our life. 
Um, and I don't mean like a kind of sort of towards the top type of prioritization, all right? I'm going to ruffle a little bit of feathers here, and I apologize in advance for it. Um, I'm not talking about a top five kind of prioritization. I don't mean like Jesus is number four, but then we've got like my job is number three because I, I want to make a whole lot of money, and my family's number two, and myself is number one kind of prioritization. What I'm talking about when I say prioritization of Christ in our lives, I'm talking about number one above everything else. Now, this is the time of year that we have New Year's resolutions, okay? Um, I've got a New Year's resolution for myself, and it's for me to be able to manage my time better, okay? I do a horrible job of that. Like, me and time management are not very good. I end up neglecting certain areas of my life because I'm, I'm either wasting time doing things I shouldn't be doing or I'm putting too much emphasis on things I shouldn't be doing. And so in order for me to prioritize my, my time, I have to essentially do some spring cleaning. I need to go through and I need to look at the things that are of the utmost importance for me. And then I need to look at the things that are a little lower on the list. I need to clean out those things that are taking up too much time. And I need to start spending and investing more time in the things that are important to me, what I value as an individual. That means for you guys, if y'all see me and y'all see the way that I'm living my life and you see where I'm spending my time, you are going to be able to see that I value certain things in my life. Likewise, if I look at y'all's life and I see the time that you're spending and where you're spending that time, I'm going to be able to see what you value, right? Now, if you are, and this is just an example, a 24-year-old male that's living at home with your parents, plays Call of Duty for 23 hours a day, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that you prioritize finding a bride that you want to start a family with. Because what I'm going to see, because of what you spend your time doing, playing video games, that that's what you prioritize over trying to find someone that you can spend your life with. Because if you want to find a wife, then you've got to go get a job, Okay, you've got to get a haircut. You've got to go spend some time doing something other than playing video games. Um, we can see what we value because of where we place our time. Um, if we're going to worship and celebrate Jesus this holiday season, then I think that we need to recognize who he is, but I think we also need to prioritize him. I think it's a natural response. I don't think that we can sit in the chairs of our church and go, I recognize what Christ has done for me, but I don't think I'm going to prioritize him in my life. Those two things can't work together. If you really recognize what Christ has done, then your natural response is to prioritize him because of the greatness of the gift that he has given for us. Now, I have students come to me all the time and say, well, how do I do that? How do I, how do I invest more time in Jesus? You, we meet for church one hour a week. We've got the Wednesday night thing. What do I do the rest of the week? Here's a couple of things um, that I normally tell my students. Spend time in the word and spend time in prayer. Now, I'm not talking about spend seven hours a day in a, in a dark closet praying, okay? I'm talking about even a minimal investment in the word and in prayer, now, for my students, that means you're going to have to sacrifice 15 or 20 minutes that you're not on Instagram, counting how many likes you have, for pictures of your own face, okay? That means you're going to have to actually take that time and set it aside in a very disciplined and purposeful manner in order to spend time with the Lord, right? As parents, I would hope that you would be an example of that for your children so that they could see that in their household. Um, the second thing is church attendance, now, here's the deal. This is where people start shifting their seats. Go, okay, here's the preacher trying to make us feel guilty because numbers aren't up, right? You want to try to get attendance, so you're going to tell us that we need to come here, okay? I'm not telling that you need to come to church because I need church numbers to be high, okay? You need to be plugged into a local body because it's biblical. 
When you look at scripture, you see God being relational, not secluded, not off by himself. He created man to be relational. He created a helpmate for man, which was Eve, because he sees us in his image, which is relational. You see the early church in Acts living together and learning together because God is relational, and that's exactly what he calls us as believers to be. Now, you can even say, well, I don't know that I even get that, right? I don't even know, I mean, is, is the church, I mean, they don't even talk about the church very much in Scripture. Well, they do, not to mention the fact that the entire New Testament was basically Paul writing letters to the church in order to instruct them and lead them in a way that they could go out and make disciples and introduce people to Jesus. One of the most troubling trends that I see for my students um, is the fact that um, in the, the families that they're growing up in, church attendance isn't a priority. That it's, there's other things that get put above whether or not you are in and plugged into a local body of believers. And what happens and what I have to battle with our students is, is they go off to college and then they, they start a family and they don't go to church. And the reason why they're not going to church is because they haven't seen the model of faith in their family because church attendance wasn't a priority for them. Um, I you know, was trying to think of how, how do we increase the celebration of Christmas. And the reality is, is we meet here every Sunday. We meet here every Sunday and we worship and we sing and we spend life together. Throughout the course of the week, we meet in homes in order to have fellowship with one another so that we can have instruction. But more important than that, we, we can lean on one another. There's difficulty that we go through in life and we can look to the people that are around us and they can help lift us up in those struggling times. The celebration isn't one day out of the year. It's not even one month. It's every day. And when you put the word and prayer and church attendance as a priority in your life because you recognize who God is, then you're going to continue to celebrate what God is doing. My question to you guys this morning is, is if we looked at the manger and what we saw was the cross, then how could we contain our celebration? How could we contain our excitement if we knew that Christ was going to come back for us again? The answer to that is we couldn't. We wouldn't be able to. Christ would no longer be a holiday that marks the end of the year or the peak of a holiday shopping season. Instead, it would mark the birth of redemption, a life of restoration, the death of sin, and our coming salvation. Let's pray together. Father God, um, we come to you this morning after a week of celebration. God, I pray that as uh, the trees and the decorations go back in their boxes, that we don't lose sight of what this season really means. Um, that your birth and your arrival is just the beginning. That you are the, the coming king and that you have arrived. Through that, God, there is hope and there is redemption and there's love and there's peace. And so, God, I pray for the people that are here this morning that uh, may not know that, may not have heard that, may, may not have entered into that relationship. God, I pray that that truth starts to soak into their heart and starts to soften it. Uh, for those people that are here that are believers, God, I pray that, um, that we recognize what you have done for us, that we are reminded of it daily, that it's not something that comes up at the end of a year, but that it's something that we continue to celebrate. God, we love you. We praise you. And all God's people said, amen.